0: I'm excited to, to be able to speak tonight. Um, I wanna say you know, thank you to Pastor if he's watching online right now. Thank you for allowing me to speak. You know, It's good that Pastor takes some time off. And I, and, and I know that Pastor Keith and I, we've, we shared taking the load with Pastor Childs in this season, you know, because it's a lot at times, even for ministers in this season. You know, and, and I really say this, not just to pray for us, pray for ministers pray for ministers all over the world, all over our country. Um, I was listening to a minister, um, recently and he was talking about the, the amount of ministers right now that are dropping out because of discouragement. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's astronomical how many pastors are quitting because this season has been either so hard on their church or so hard on them spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. And, um, Their hearts are just so downcast in this season. So pray for ministers, pray for pastors, pray for evangelists, pray for the the prophets and the missionaries, pray for those people who are called into God's kingdom to do his work. I know that that they need it. But again, thank you for being here tonight. We're gonna go ahead and jump into the message. And I titled this message, Confident Until the End. And our main text will be out of Philippians 1, uh, chapter one, verses three through six. And I was praying about what I was gonna speak on and I had some other ideas going into to preparing for this night, but this morning when I woke up, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you need to speak on this. And so I wanna encourage you. Tonight, I wanna to encourage you. I wanna encourage you in your faith. I wanna encourage you in your heart. I wanna encourage you in your spirit because I know right now, we need a lot of encouragement right now. We need that. And I know that the greatest place to, to receive encouragement is from the body of Jesus Christ amen, because that's where true encouragement comes, you know, when the Holy Spirit encourages you, and when he stirs other believers to encourage you, it's something that's so great, it can just carry you on, and so I want to encourage you tonight, so confident until the end, and before we jump into the text, I want to give a little context about the church at Philippi, it's important that we understand context, so we can understand scripture, and so first off, Paul is writing to the church in, in Philippi, and he's writing from prison, so he's in prison right now when he when he's writing this letter to them. But also you need to understand that Paul was the founder of this church along with Timothy, Silas, and Luke. So he had founded this church in Philippi and the church was really established in a response to a vision that God had given Paul to go to Macedonia um, on a missionary journey and reach the people there with the gospel and share the gospel with the Gentiles. And so, Paul visited um, these Christians in Philippi constantly. Um, This wasn't something that he just you know, was a one-time thing and he planned the church and then he just kind of went on his way and he'd periodically write. Um, He visited there pretty pretty often. He would go by and see the believers there. He loved them dearly. Um, They blessed him at times. They helped him in times of need financially, especially when he was in prison. They came to his need in those times. But he does address three things in this book that this church is facing. And these are these three things. So the first one was that some people, some Christians, some believers, they were discouraged by his imprisonment. So he wanted to address to them to not be discouraged by it, but to be encouraged even though he was in prison, the will of God was being accomplished. The second thing that there was some disunity with some of the believers in the church, there was I, I believe there was uh, two women within the church. If you could go back and reread the, through the scripture, there was some disunity there with the church and these women, and Paul was addressing that, and then the third thing was that there was a constant threat of false teachers in regard to a legalistic viewpoint. So meaning a, a religious in a way. When I hear legalism, I think of religious people, meaning you know, you have to pray for this set amount of time or you have to dress this set away or you have to follow the laws of the Jewish Mosaic laws or, or you're not really saved. So he was dealing with false teachers in that regard and also he was dealing with people Uh, who had no moral restraint. Um, people who who thought living in immorality was perfectly acceptable and okay and you could still be a Christian. So he's facing all of these these three things. He's facing these things with these believers. But overall, this letter to them was to encourage them. It was to allow them to know that they need to continue in their relationship with Jesus Christ. They need to keep serving with humble hearts. They need to keep walking in unity in the Holy Spirit. And they need to keep living and, and being walking in joy in the peace of Jesus Christ. That was his real point. And so with that, I wanna encourage you tonight with, with what the Lord put on my heart. And this is the main text. And it's Philippians 1, three through six. And it, Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for, for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I want to start off with a question, and I want us all to think about this question tonight, and not in regard to anyone else, but to yourself. I want you to to look into your own heart and Ask yourself this question, and the question is this. Is your confidence in Jesus Christ today as strong as it was when you first believed? Is your confidence in Jesus Christ today in this moment, is it as strong as it was when you first believed? Now, I know there could be many answers. There could be those that say, yes, my faith is even stronger. There could be those that say, uh, yeah, I, I feel strong in my faith. And there could be those who say, no, I don't feel as strong in my faith. All these things that are going on in this world, that are really weighing on me. I'm, I'm really having a difficult time. There's many answers to that question, I believe, as Christians. And we have to understand that God doesn't want our confidence in him to waver or to change no matter what the season may face. As Christians still in this world, it's easy to begin to rely on what our eyes can see, right? We start to, as we, as, when we started walking with Jesus and when we started off our walk of faith with him, I think a lot of us at the beginning were a lot, we, we felt it was a lot easier to not rely on the things we could see because our faith was so fresh, and vibrant, and new, and God was doing so many great things, and pouring into us in so many amazing ways, but as Christians, we're still in this world, and we could start to rely on what our eyes can see. We can start to rely on what? what our hands can feel, right? I know people who are all about the feeling, all about the feeling, and you know, that's not, as Christians, what we need to be about, or we could start to rely on what our minds can really understand. You ever had one of those questions pop up in your mind? One of those questions that you just can't answer? One of those things that's just so hard to understand or try to figure out? And then what we try to do is we try to rationalize things or we try to compare things or we try to view things from a worldly standpoint. And you know what? That's just human nature. We do that. We do that in our own human nature. But when we think about all of the advances in medicine, technology, education, science, you know what? It's actually really easy to begin to trust in who we are as human beings if we're not careful. I mean, think about it. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have a computer sitting on this table that could call people, text people, that could do a million different things. Yet today we have that. And as Christians, we must know that our reliance can't be on these things. It can't be on the, all of the, the medical advances or all of the technology or all the education or all of the, the great scientific discoveries. What our true reliance always has to be on is Jesus Christ, no matter what we face and no matter how great things get. Now I heard someone say, you know, this is the greatest time to live. You know, and, and you know what? In, some, in many ways it, it may be, but then in many ways it may not be. But their point was think about all these great things that we have. I mean, we have automobiles, we have airplanes, we have all these wonderful things. And what we can do is we can begin to rely on ourselves and our human wisdom and our human strength and our human spirit and not rely on Jesus. God has called us by his name through his son. Jesus Christ, and by his Holy Spirit to be a people who don't live by human ways, but they live by the complete leading of the Holy Spirit. And so, even though all these things are great, we have to keep ourselves centered on this one truth, that Christ is far much greater, no matter how smart we may think we are, no matter how great we may build, no matter what may come, our reliance and our confidence have to be in Jesus Christ. And this is my first point for tonight, and it's this. It was God that began the good work in you. It was not you. Let's don't get this twisted. Let's don't start to think that we're greater than who we really are. The reality is this. It's God who first started the good work in you. Think about it. In verse 6 of this first chapter, it says, that he who has begun a good work in you. You didn't begin the good work in you. As much as you want to take credit for it, or as much as you want to think you, you did it, well, I came up to that church. Well, you didn't save yourself in that church. Well, I did this. No, 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 it's not about you. You see, we have to understand that it was God that started this good work in us. And it's God that's going to be the one who completes this good work in us. No good works begin with you or me. And why can this be said with certainty? Why can we say that with certainty? Because within the heart of a person, within the heart of a man or a woman without God, nothing truly good is there. There's nothing good there. If God is not there, there's nothing good there. No one on their own is truly good. Only God in his holiness and his righteousness is truly good. But we can think that our hearts are good. And we could think that our hearts are right. But really, our flesh in itself, it only produces wickedness and sinfulness. That's all it produces. As much as we want to think we're a good person, either wickedness in our pride or sinfulness in our selfishness or immorality or greed, and I could just keep going on and on and on, the list goes on. Our Our flesh truly has no good things in it but why do we as human beings try to justify that our intentions are still good have you ever noticed that we do that we try to justify our selfishness we try to justify our pride we try to justify our greed we try to justify our immorality well i have needs pastor reese so I need to look at those things on the internet that are lustful, because I have needs as a man. You're trying to justify your sinful nature. Or I have needs in my family, so I need to work to make as much money as I can to have the greatest job. Yet really, it's your greed-driven heart that desires more and more and more. I, I was listening the other day. I saw this on a news article. blew my mind. Uh, a former NBA player said he worries about money. This man is worth like $400 million. And he worries about money. Half of his career was driven because of money. Not simply because he loved the game. It was simply because he was so worried that he would never have enough money. Greed. This person in many people's eyes would be good. Would be a good person. Would be a kind person. Would be a loving person. Yet greed at the center of our heart still, still no good, still no good in us. The reason is because of this. We in our pride don't truly want to acknowledge that one we don't know at all. That two, we haven't figured it all out. That three, we aren't truly perfect even though we try to make everyone believe we are. We in our pride as human beings, as men and women, we don't want to acknowledge that our sinfulness and our wickedness is really wrong. It's wrong. We don't wanna acknowledge it. We don't wanna acknowledge the fact that our love for these sinful and wicked things is wrong and our love to follow our unrighteousness evil desires are wrong. Listen to this. In Psalms 14, verses 1 through 4, it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. And the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord. Jesus said this in John chapter seven, verses six and seven. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You see, Jesus would testify. He would tell people what you're doing is wrong. It's against the word of God. It's against the spirit of God. It's against the things of God. But yet as human beings in our prideful, prideful states of our hearts without Christ, we try to justify it. We try to make it right. We try to make it sound good. We try to allow ourselves to be a part of it. But Jesus shows us even further in Matthew that no one is good. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 19 verses 16 through 26. Jesus says now behold one or it says now behold one came and said to him good teacher what good things shall i do that i may inherit eternal life so he said to him why do you call me good no one is good but one and that is god i mean jesus right here who was the perfect son of god completely spotless zero sin in his life acknowledged that on his own he was no good He was acknowledging that not even himself was good. The only one that was good was God. You see, it was God that began the good work in you, not you. As much as we want to take credit, and it's awful that we try to, or we catch ourselves doing it, a lot of us, we have to understand that God is the one that does this good work. He goes on to say this. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Man, this guy's zealous. He's like, which ones, Jesus? Which commandments? He's wanting to know which ones he needs to keep. He's wanting to know what good things he needs to do. He's wanting to know if he's done them all. He's wanting to make sure he's checked them all off the list and that he's good to go. He went to church on Sunday. He went to the prayer meeting. He did this. He, you know, he gave $5 to a homeless guy so he could eat some food. You know, he, he, he did all these good deeds and these good things. So he's going, which ones, Jesus? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Man, this guy's confident. Whew. I would like to meet this guy. He's confident. And He's talking to the son of God, and he's saying, oh, I've already done all that, Jesus. I've kept that from youth. I haven't broken a single one. I've been perfect in all these ways. What do I lack? I mean, if he only knew who he was talking to in that moment, to say, what do I lack? And then Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And then Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly I say to you that it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished saying, who can? Who then can be saved? I mean, think about it. The disciples are standing around. Let's really put ourselves in this moment. Jesus is having in this conversation with this man and If I was a disciple, I'd be sitting here listening to this guy, and he's like, yeah, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't committed murder. I've always honored my father and mother. And he's like, what do I lack, Jesus? I mean, if I was him, I'd be feeling really inadequate right now. Like, man, this guy should be a disciple, not me. Like, Like, he's done all these things and i can't do these things like i i i looked at a woman and i committed adultery in my heart oh my gosh i had lust in my heart uh i, I one time got mad at my dad and i called him a name i wasn't honoring him i mean I, I wonder what these disciples were thinking about as they were watching this unfold you know no kidding they said then who can be saved jesus that's what they're like because they're probably scared half to death sitting there listening to this but jesus looked at them verse 26 and said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You see, the only way to truly be good and perfect and righteous, to be holy in the sight of God, is through Jesus And we have to understand that there's a God in heaven who's created everything, and He sits on His throne, and He's called us all, every man. I said, I've read it in Psalm 14. It says He looks down from the heavens to see who wants to understand. God is longing for people to want these things. So much so, he's, he, was, he was scouring the land. He's looking from the heavens and he's looking down and he's seeing corruption, corruption, corruption. But yet he's still looking. It's not like God turned away and said, forget it. There's no point. I'm just gonna sit on my throne. There's no reason for me to look. No, it says he's looking down. He's desiring for people to be walking in this. So we have to understand that he's calling us all to be saved. But the reality is this, we aren't saved on our terms or on our strength. The only way is through Jesus. The good work begins with him. God is the one who began the good work in you. Listen to this, John 14:6. We know this verse. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when I was reading through this story about the rich young man and Jesus having this conversation with him, something just came to my heart. And it was this. The rich young man, he came to Jesus. Think about that. The rich young man didn't go to the synagogue and talk to the priests and say, I've kept all these things, I've been perfect in all these ways, and blah, yada, yada, yada. He didn't do that. He went to Jesus. But then I noticed something about this. He didn't follow Jesus. Have we ever seen people who just come to Jesus Come to Jesus, come to Jesus. Come to the front, come to the front. Let me say this prayer with you, hallelujah. Let's say this prayer right now. And they come to Jesus, but they don't follow Jesus. You see, you could come to Jesus and not follow Jesus. You see, but that's something that's not taught today. That's something that's not preached today. You know why? Because the fear that the pastor's gonna lose somebody, the fear that he's gonna offend somebody, the fear that somebody's gonna get their feelings hurt, I don't care, sorry. I was with someone two weeks ago who told me they were a Christian to my face and I just said one thing to them. Does your Bible match up with what the word of God says? Does your life, does your life match up with what the word of God says? Is your Bible what the Bible really says? Because I don't know, man. How dare you say that to me, Reese? What do you mean? I went to church when I was yada, 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 and they dumped me in the tank, and they pulled me out, and praise God. And I said, yeah, that's all good, and that's awesome, but does your life match what Jesus says? And their response to me was this. Nobody ever does that. Nobody really tries it. that. nobody tri- See, they're justifying it. They're trying to justify the pride. They're trying to justify the sin. They're trying to say, well, everybody else doesn't really do it. My mommy didn't do it. My daddy didn't do it. Well, I tell you this today, people who may be watching, your mommy and your daddy are going to be by your side when you stand before God at the judgment seat. That's not going to happen. When you're there, he's going to say, this was your life. This is what you did with it. And so I said this to this person, I said, no, no, you're you're not hearing me. Your life has to match up with what Jesus says. You just don't come to him, you follow him. You have to follow him. There's a difference. This person and I kind of got into it. And I said, listen, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, And this person I know, they're a personal trainer. And I said, if you went into the gym tomorrow and you saw this guy on the squat rack and he was doing squats complete I mean, he was like, he was over here doing squats like this. I said, what would you do? He said, I go over there to him and say, hey, brother, you need to stop doing those squats like that because you're going to blow your back out in about two weeks. I said, well, guess what I'm doing, brother? I'm telling you the truth because you need to hear the truth because just like God called Ezekiel to be a watchman, God has called all of us, even those watching, to be watchmen, to say, this is wrong. You're not doing this right. You need to know what Jesus says. The rich young ruler, he came to Jesus. He was at the feet of Jesus, but he didn't follow Jesus. We can't expect God to move in our lives if we don't choose to truly follow him. We can't expect to have eternal life with our our lives being fully given to Christ. We have to truly believe. We have to truly follow Jesus with all of our hearts and then we will be saved. I just can't know of Jesus. I have to know Jesus. I can't say, yeah, I know of Jesus. He's that cool guy where I go over there and they give me that, that fruit juice and that little piece of bread, it's awesome. You know, it comes in handy when I'm hungry. You know, no, no, you have to know the son of God. You have to know that he's a living God. You have to know that he's a breathing God. You have to know that he is the great high priest who sits in the mercy seat. You have to know him. There's a difference. Our culture has lied to young Christians. And, and you know what? I was a part of that culture and I know it to be true. I grew up going to church. I grew up, they took my hand, they put me in the sun. Have fun, Reese, have fun. I grew up, you know what? I learned all 66 books of the Bible in order and you know why I learned it? Because I got to win a Nerf football. That means nothing. That means nothing. Parents, wake up. People, wake up. You can't just know of Jesus. You have to know Jesus. You have to know him. John chapter 6 verse 29 says, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Jesus desires that we truly believe in him. Acts chapter 4 verses 10 through 12, let it be known to you all, this is Peter speaking amongst the religious men who were the most religious people at that time. So here's here's Peter the fisherman filled with the Holy Spirit speaking to all the people who went to Bible college. And he says, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus has to be your cornerstone. He has to be your rock, your foundation. He has to be, he can't be your buddy's foundation. He can't be your family's foundation. Jesus has to be your foundation, what you stand on. The beginning of the great work of God in your life is first coming to salvation. God is the one who started the good work in your life. It's coming to him through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, verses eight through 13. But what does it say? The word is near in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is calling to all who are not saved through the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, to be saved to be set free from the power of sin and to come into the good work that he's called you to. And that is salvation and freedom from this world in Jesus Christ. God's calling to you. Maybe you're watching online right now and you've never received Jesus or maybe you're watching online right now and you've lived a life of religious duty and you've gone to church every Sunday but yet your heart isn't changed. You have to not just go to Jesus, you have to follow Jesus. You have to surrender every part of yourself to Jesus and you have to love him with everything in you. The second point is this. God is the one who will complete the work, not you. Stop trying to complete God's work. That's not your job. Drives me nuts. Too many Christians think that it's their job to complete the work. They think it's their job. They think that, oh, well, yeah, I'm a believer and you know what, I'll just, I'll just speak this into existence over and over and I'll just kind of force this to happen. No, 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 you don't force anything. If God doesn't wanna do it, God's not gonna do it. No matter how much you try to make it happen, it won't work. And too many Christians think it's their job to complete the work. No, it's our calling and duty to be the workmanship. We aren't God and we are in control of all things. Listen to this verse in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should, what? Walk in them. God is calling all of us, every one of us, To do a work. But that doesn't mean he wants you to complete the work. He's called you to do the work. He's called you to go forward. He's called you to step out in faith. He's called you, like we're called right now. What are we doing? We're we're trying to build a church up here on this hill. And yes, that will be completed, but it won't be completed by our ability. No way. It's gonna be completed by God's ability, by God's hand, by God's power, not by our power, not by our might. No, by the Spirit of the Lord. God has called us to walk in the works of faith that are in and through Him. He shows each and every believer what they're called to do. God has a purpose for every person. He shows you, this is what I've called you to do. I remember when he said, Reese, I want you to call, to, I call you to preach. I was terrified. I thought I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. Why are you calling me to do this? I can't even talk. I wanted to do a Moses and dip out and get somebody else to speak for me. I couldn't do that though. Cause God was saying, no, this is what I have called you to do. And I know when I begin to try to kind of like Jonah it out, you know what I mean? Like you're like, "Mm, peace out. You know, you're trying to get in the whale. You know what I mean? You're trying to pull away. Oh, the Holy Spirit comes like a fire on me. And he's like, no, no, no. This is what you have to do. This is what I called you to do. Just like he's called all of us to a specific calling within the body. We are called to do what we are called to do in Christ, not in ourselves. He then works out the plan of God for each of us through the Holy Spirit. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses five through nine. This is Paul. If anyone had any reason, I think, in a, in a life to wanna dip out, I would say it would be this man. He had all the right. I mean, just reading through his life, is amazing. He says in these in these verses he says, "Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. The Lord gave. I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase." Okay? Meaning Paul was planting and Apollos was watering, but God was the one that was completing it. God was the one that was fulfilling it. It wasn't Paul, like Paul and Apollos were standing out there going, grow, they weren't doing that. No, 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 God was the one that was growing those who were being watered, those who were being poured out seed upon. God was the one that was cultivating their hearts and God was using them as vessels. He said, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. So yes, we will see receive an, a reward from the Lord. Whether that be now or, or within heaven. We know we will receive those rewards in heaven. But the reality is it's God who brings the increase, not us. It says, verse nine, for we are God's fellow workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. God brings the increase and it's God who, does, who works through us as his children, who, who, whom he has called. As we go to do what God has called us to do, he equips us through his spirit, to complete it, not by ourselves. Just as we're not saved on our own, we can't expect to complete or finish anything on our own. It's all through God's help and his leading in our lives. Listen to Mark chapter 16. Listen to this, Mark chapter 16, verses 19 through 20. It says, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, so this is right after Jesus had spoken to them, and then he gets received up to heaven. It says, he was received up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God and they went out and preached everywhere. And they went out and preached everywhere by themselves and they did it all by their power and might and they built a great place. It's not what it says. It says, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying of signs. Amen. It was the Lord working through them. They never completed anything on their own. God was continually working through them. So maybe you're in a season and a place in your life where God has called you to a work and you're doing that work, but I'm gonna tell you right now, you can't get ahead of God in the work. You can't get ahead of him and try to outsmile, well, God, I'm gonna do it. this. You know, God, I want a big youth ministry, so God, I'm gonna, gonna, for eight weeks straight, I'm gonna fill this place with inflatables. I'm gonna have every kid in the world here and it's gonna be great, God, and it's gonna grow it won't grow. Why? Because it's not growing the way the Lord wants it to grow. It's not growing according to the way the Lord wants it to be done. Why? Because I'm doing it on my own at that point. I'm off in la-la land doing my own thing. You see, as Christians, we have to be walking with the Lord in the work. Because the Lord will say, stop. Rest. And we rest. And while we rest, the Lord works. And he says, get up, go. Go and we go, and then he says, stop, go here, and we go here, and we see that in scripture, and one of the most amazing stories we see in scripture is in the book of Acts, when we see the deacon Philip, and we see that God calls him to go to Samaria, so God says, Philip, I want you to go to Samaria, so he goes to Samaria, and I'm paraphrasing, he goes to Samaria, and while he's there, a great work of God happens, amazing work of God, okay? God's raising the dead, healing the sick, the gospel's being preached, people are being saved, people are believing on the Lord. It gets so crazy and so wild, Peter and John, they're all like, "Hey, man, we're coming down to check this thing out. We're going to come speak the revival." So they show up. Well in that time, God speaks to Philip and says, "Go south into the desert." I don't know about you, but that wouldn't be a great word from the Lord. Have you ever wanted to go south into a desert? Do you know what a desert is like? There's no water, there's nothing. But what did Philip do? Philip didn't go, you know, God, this is really cool here and it's really bumping and I love being here in this great revival. I'm gonna go lay on my face in the corner and pray. That's not what he did. That's not what he did. He said, okay, and he started walking. But you see, when we're led by the spirit of God and when the spirit of God leads us in his power, what happens? Well, he didn't actually end up in the desert. If you read the story, he begins to walk and he doesn't question the Lord. He obeys the Lord, he just goes south. Can you imagine just seeing this guy just walking? Just not stopping? He's just going. And then as he's walking, there's an Ethiopian man on a chariot nearby. And Philip hears him reading the book of Isaiah. And, and God says, go and take hold of that chariot. Go and talk to that man. What does he do? He runs up there, he starts talking to that man. And he starts asking him, you know, do you know what you're reading? How do I know unless someone teaches me? How do I know unless someone speaks to me on it? and so what happens is he tells the Ethiopian man through the scriptures and he reveals to him who Jesus is and this Ethiopian man is so excited he believes on the Lord Jesus and he says I want to be baptized I want to be baptized remember he's still supposed to be going south in the desert guys remember that's the goal here you know God just kind of gave him a little little detour and so he's over here doing this work with the Lord and the Lord's doing this work in the Ethiopian man and and Philip's like hey well now as good as any time we don't have to wait till next Thursday to baptize i don't know why we do that sorry that's just me anyways like we like we got to plan the baptism out like eight months i'm like dude let's just go out in a pond right now let's do it so anyways so he says hey look look there's a water there's a hole right over here with water let's go over here so they take him over there and philip baptizes him in the name of the father son the holy spirit and when he comes up something amazing happens it says philip was translated to a whole nother place I mean, I don't know about you, but the Bible is cool. Somebody tell me the Bible's not cool? That guy just teleported somewhere. Holy Spirit just took him, translated him to a whole nother place. Yet remember, God said, go south to the desert. You don't complete the work. You don't complete it. You're just the tool. You're just the workmanship. You're just the conduit that he moves through. And when he says, stop, you stop. I, I've been listening to that song, Spirit Lead Me. We've sung it before in here. And I, I, I love that song. If you say, go, I'll go. If you say, stay, I'll stay. Well, that's reality. That's how being a Christian should be. We shouldn't like try to take hold of the buggy and just be like, yes, I'm on, I'm on top. I have this. No, 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 no. You don't have it. It's God. It's the Lord working through us. And the Lord, what did he do? He worked through the apostles. He worked through them. What did he do? They would preach the word, and through the Lord's power, the accompanying signs and wonders would come. The apostles would preach the gospel, and God would bring forth what? The birth of the church. God was doing something. God was creating something he was moving and working and guess what they weren't trying to complete it they were obeying the lord they were following him as he told them to go if god desired to work through them then he desires to work through us but we cannot get entangled with trying to make everything work have you ever met someone like that? They try to make everything work. They try to control it all. They try to get like a cobra grip on it and they just wanna, no, it has to be this way. We have to sing this song. We have to do this, this. No, 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 no. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit. We have to obey his leading and God. We have to walk with him because he's the one in the end that will complete us. He's the one in the end that will complete the church. Do you understand? We're being built up into a body for the glory of the Lord, not for ourselves. And who's building it? God, God's building it. We have to be completely submitted to Jesus. We have to be submitted to the work that he's called us to do in this body, but also in ourselves, completely surrendering, understanding that even at the day of salvation, what happens? God fully completes us. I'm not fully complete right now. I'm still in this waste, wasted away sinful body. But on the day of salvation, when I see the Lord, he'll say, you're whole, you're complete. It's the Lord that does that, not me. He perfects me. The third thing is this, and I'll hurry on this last one, it's 15. We must stay confident in Jesus Christ. Look at verse, verse six again being confident of this very thing. If we look at that whole scripture and we reread it, let me go back up to the top. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What is our confidence resting in? What was Paul, what was his, Paul's confidence in? And now I ask you this, what's your confidence in? What is your confidence in? Paul's confidence was not in himself. And it wasn't in what other people could do. His confidence was completely rested on the fact that God was going to bring forth everything into completion whether it was his life being given to Jesus and God completing Paul's life in Christ and finishing that race of faith or whether it was God carrying him through a trial or a storm, Paul was trusting, God, you're gonna complete this. I don't know how, but you're gonna get me through this. Paul's security rested in the fact that God was going to complete the work and Paul was just a tool in the hand of the creator. And you know what? Paul accepted that role. He said yes. He didn't buck the Lord. He didn't say, no, Lord, I want to do it this way. No, he submitted to the Lord. How are you responding to God in situations in your life? How are you responding to God? Are you letting God complete the work? Are you trying to complete the work? Are you putting your confidence in God or are you putting your confidence in yourself? Are you knowing that he's the one that started the work in you and he'll be the one that finishes it? Are you resting and trusting God or are you trying to work it all out in your own strength? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses four through six. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. So not only is Paul saying my sufficiency in every way to be a good neighbor, to be a loving husband, to be a loving wife, to be a loving parent, to be a good person in this world. Not only is my sufficiency to do that in Jesus, but he says my sufficiency as a minister alone in the new covenant is from Jesus. How many of us say that today? I know there's a lot of people who can get into pride, especially in ministry, and if you're not careful, you go to Bible college and you think you know it all and you got it all down and you got the formulas and you, you know, I could pump out a sermon in two minutes. Well, that's great, man, cool. But the reality is this, are you obeying God and is he being the sufficiency as you minister the new covenant or is it yourself? All of us are called to be ministers of the new covenant, to go and share the gospel. So our sufficiency just alone as a witness has to come from Jesus Christ. Not, and he goes on to say, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. God is the one who gives us completely what we need in all times to do his will and to have complete confidence that he will come through for us in any moment, in any time. Look at Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, if God was going to raise Jesus Christ up from the dead and complete Christ. Do you not think he's gonna complete you? Do you not think in your time of need he's gonna bring you into completion? Do you not think in the work that you're in that he's not gonna fully complete it when the time and the season is due? Yes, he will do that. He says, he brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will. Working in you, what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever, amen. Colossians chapter two, verses six through 10. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. As you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving, beware lest anyone cheat you through a philosophy, an empty deceit according to the the traditions of men. You see, that's what we have a problem with today. We have the traditions of men trying to be butted in Well, we've always done it this way. Well, no, it's not about, you've always done it that way. It's not about that. Not that that way's bad, but it's what does the Lord want? What does he desire? What is your confidence in the way that it's always worked and you've always done it and that always works out? No, no, no. Or is your confidence in the fact that God said, I want you to do this. And when you do it, he's gonna bring a great move of God or blessing. It says, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, not according to Christ. You see, Paul was saying, there's this philosophy that's come out. There's this deceit that's come out in the church. And it's saying it's about the tradition of men. It's saying about, it's about the principles of the world. And it's not saying it's about Jesus Christ. For in him, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, all of the fullness of God lies within Jesus. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. God desires for us to find completion in him, for us to have full confidence in him, for us to understand that the good work that was started in us was through him. And if God is gonna start a good work in us, then he's gonna complete that good work in us and we can have confidence in that. If God's gonna start this good work in our body, then he's gonna complete that building. We don't need to sit here and freak out and worry about all of the little things. No, 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 no. If God has called us to this work, he's gonna complete the work. If God has called you as a Christian, to do the will of God in your life. He's gonna complete that. And all you have to do is put your confidence and your trust in him. I wanna end this time with praying over us here in this place and praying over the believers that we would not back away from this, that we, would, we, we wouldn't forget. We wouldn't forget that it's God that started this whole thing. This is something I adopted right when I first started in ministry. Whenever I started here at our church, I didn't know anything. And I say that gladly, and guess what? I still don't know anything. But what I mean by that is, yes, I have learned things. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is, is I've always understood this one thing, and I think the Lord always humbles me in it, is that this, I'm I'm at a standstill if I don't have him. I can't do anything. I'm totally incapable. And I and I learned that early on. And I learned that I had to rely on the Lord more than anything because I didn't have the education that some of the other ministers had. I didn't have the teaching that some of the other people had. I didn't have any of that. But what I do, what I knew I had was I knew I had God on my side. I knew that I had Jesus Christ in me. I knew that he had given me the Holy Spirit and I knew that's all I needed. And so I would always say this at the beginning. i say, you know what, God, even if I lost everything, I still have everything I need because you gave me everything I have right now. And even if I lost it, even if something happened, God, and, 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 I, and, I, and I wasn't in the position I'm in, God, I know you will open another door because everything I have now, you gave it to me. And if you could do it once, you can do it again. And I'm gonna trust you. And so I want us to pray that in our lives, I want us to pray that for our church, that we would trust the Lord that we wouldn't let our confidence get in ourselves, that we wouldn't let ourselves forget that it's God who started the work in us. It's God who's gonna complete the work in us, not us. It's God who said, Trinity Life Church, who formerly was Mesquite First Assembly of God, I want you to put a church on this property. I want you to do this. You know what? Yeah, we've gone through a lot. Our church has faced different difficulties and struggles, but you know what? We've always known and stayed true to this, that God has called us to the work and he's gonna complete complete the work so we don't need to worry about where the money's going to come from or how's this going to work out or if the if the the dudes down at the place are going to like us it doesn't matter god's on our side it doesn't matter we're submitted to his will and he'll work it out for his good and we know that all things work together for good for those who love god for those who are called according to his purpose that's what we know let's pray this evening Father, we come before you now, and we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you that in your word, Lord, we could put our faith, we could put our hope, we could put our trust, that, God, we know that you have called us to this work. And, Lord, not only have you called us to this work as this body in this church, God, to go forth and to build what you've called us to build. Lord, you've called us in this work as individuals, as stones being put together in a temple, God, in your kingdom. You have called us all to the work of the kingdom of God, to go and to preach the gospel, to go and live lives of holiness and righteousness in faith in you. And God, we know that if you started this work in us collectively and individually, God, we know that you're gonna accomplish the work in us. And all we have to do, Lord, is trust you. All we have to do is know that our full assurance is in you, that you are the sufficiency, that you will meet the need, that you will supply the words and the empowerment. Just like when the disciples, the apostles, went out and they preached the gospel father you came along and you accompanied them and the power and the moving of the Holy Spirit it wasn't by their strength it wasn't by their power no Lord they trusted in you and they followed you and Lord you built the church that we see today and that is all over the world so God if you could do that we know that you could continue to do that in this place and in your people and so Lord I pray that your people would be encouraged tonight to know that they have the God of the heavens on their side the one who created all things that we see the one who parted the red sea the one who moved lord the one who supplied water from yet a rock god we know that you could take care of us and so lord let our faith come alive like it's never come alive before and god let our leadership in this body be fearless lord be fearless and bold because what can man do against us if we have god on our side and so lord We say all this with this in mind. It's about your will, not ours. So God, let every single agenda we try to make fall. Let every single desire that doesn't line up with your will, Lord, cease. Let everything that we do, we say, we think, we breathe, God, be in accordance with your word and with your Holy Spirit and with your will for this church and for our lives. And we ask you to do this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we trust you, Father, and we thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, God bless you all. Thank you for coming tonight. Again, we have service this Sunday, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love to see y'all there. Y'all be careful going home. Thank you so much.